Pastor Scott and lead pastor of the river. And really glad that you're checking out our uh, online podcast and our services and hope that you are blessed by this. Certainly, if you have any questions, if you're wondering about stuff that goes on here or maybe you're checking out our website more and seeing things that you uh, are wondering whether or not you might want to participate in them, feel free. Contact us in the office. Give us a call. Send us an email. Um, we'd love to hear from you. love to answer any questions that you have. Uh, we hope that you are blessed by what you hear on, on this podcast. We hope that God's Word continues to have power in your life. And we pray that uh, God makes himself known, that you know how much he truly, truly, truly loves you. Thanks for checking us out and uh, enjoy the service. From 1 Kings chapter 19, beginning at verse 9. There he went into a cave and spent the night, that is Elijah. And the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here? Elijah, he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain, mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came. And go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king, over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king, over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Maholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael. And Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet... I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Has anyone ever gotten to a place where it's like, 
I can't be any more, here anymore. I need to get away. I just go need to do something else. Anyone ever been that? Doug's in that place right this minute. Think maybe Beth is too. Feeling that pressure, feeling that stress, feeling that life is overwhelming and you just need to get away. The, the funny part, I actually had that a few weeks ago. Kristen will tell you that just before I went to Iowa, we had one of those conversations that often happens between a husband and a wife. Oh, I'm going to miss you. I'm going to miss you too, she said to me. But I think it's a really good idea for you to get away for a while. My mind needed rest. My mind needed to be separated and different from what it was in light of just a lot of the things going on here at church and in life and in general. And I needed to get away. We need that sometimes. And sometimes it can be for a weekend or a week of vacation. Sometimes it is only maybe for an hour that we need some breath. I don't know how many moms I've talked to who say, sometimes I just go lock the door to the bathroom, put on headphones and not listen to anything because I just need to get away from all of it. We need that time. And when we look at the text this morning... Elijah was in that place. Now, Elijah was not sort of, um, uh, it it wasn't a, a choice that he made himself. It was sort of a choice that was put upon him. Why? Because Jezebel and Ahab were after him. Elijah was a marked man by the royalty of the kingdom. And he was one who was marked because he had just had this incredible experience on Mount Carmel. You can look back about a chapter and a half, read the story of what happened on Mount Carmel with all the prophets of Baal and the altar of God that was consumed with fire. He had just had this big experience, but right after it, Jezebel and Ahab say, Nope, that's not cool. And we're going to find this guy, and we're going to kill him. We're going to destroy him because of what it is that he represents. In the challenges of his work, Elijah <coughs> excuse me, has become discouraged. And remember Mark, Mount Carmel. Remember the story. Altar. You get a, a, a cow put upon it. You get water poured upon it. And then you get fire coming down from heaven on the altar of God. And the Baal prophets are dancing and cutting themselves and praying that Baal would come. And he doesn't. This powerful image of who's really God. And you can imagine in that moment of God showing up in the fire of Mount Carmel that Elijah was sitting there for a moment going, ha, now they're going to get it. Now they're going to see. This is the God that, we, that I believe in. This is the God that I serve. And they're going to understand that he is the real God. And things are going to change. And things are going to get better. And then we're going to have more of a revival than we've ever seen in Israel. But it doesn't happen, at least the way that he planned. Sure, there are some prophets who were killed. But the backlash against that is even stronger than what was before. He's pursued. And you can imagine him saying, what am I supposed to do? How how can I possibly convince people that God is God if this didn't work? I mean, all of a sudden, if we put something in the middle of the parking lot, 
and prayed and prayed and prayed and fire from heaven and came and consumed it, wouldn't you think that that would alter people's faith? But in this case, it didn't. And so Elijah goes into the wilderness feeling like, what's the point? Because God showed up powerfully, and yet God and Elijah met resistance, Elijah begins to believe he's not making a difference. And his work as a prophet is pointless. And he's alone. He feels very isolated. What does he say? Twice to God. I am the only one. I am the only one in Israel who continues to serve you. Everyone else has bowed their knee to Baal and worshipped that other God. Elijah feels that sense of isolation, especially because of where he is. He's in the wilderness, surrounded by nothing except, well, God's presence. You can imagine him sitting around the campfire that he might have. I think God could probably give him one, say, fire, boom, there it is. He has a campfire in the wilderness. And he's sitting around going, nobody's here. Maybe even going down the road of saying, nobody really loves me or cares for me. That isolation is a powerful feeling. Some of us know that deeply. But in that, Think about what Elijah is really saying. He's lost sight of some things. Who he serves and why he serves him. He's made his work and his purpose about himself and his own effectiveness. He's looked at his life and his work and his ministry and says, this is pointless. This is not making a difference. I don't see me being successful. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes when we're in that place where we feel like we have to get away, that's how we feel, huh? That's sort of the feeling that we come with. That's the thought that goes through our mind. When we're in that place of frustration, if we're in that place with our business where we feel like this is not working, this is not going the way that I planned, the ideas that I had. Maybe it's that way with your marriage sometimes, or with your children, or with whatever it is that you're thinking about, that you feel this sense of ineffectiveness, this sense in which, why do I need to do this? What's the point? Because it just doesn't seem to be going the right direction. It sounds familiar to us at times. I know it does to me. That there are certainly times when I've sat in my office and shared conversations with Pastor Will, Pastor Nick, and others, and thought, what's the point? It just doesn't seem to change. People don't change. Even I don't change. My family doesn't change. What's the point? We get caught up in our work and our purpose and our effectiveness. Key pronoun there. We lose sight of who we are and whose we are. We lose sight of what exactly we are called to be about and instead it turns into how we've called ourselves 
to what it is that we're doing. And the big challenge that we often face in that is that life is so full and so busy that we don't have time, ability, or context to regain perspective and get our heads and our hearts on track. I I know that some of you have resonated with this idea of, I got to get away, I got to get away. But you're like, how? I've got 10 things scheduled this week. I've got no money in the bank account to be able to take that trip, take that vacation, take that retreat, take that repose. I've got people who depend on me. I've got little bodies in my home that every time are mommy, 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 or daddy, daddy, daddy. Where is the spot where I can go and find a place to refuel, revision, gain a new perspective? And that in itself can feel very powerless because it's like we know what needs to happen, but we can't do it. If we don't, though, make room to refuel at the heavenly service station, our tank will remain empty. We can go through even weeks, months, even years of having no fuel, no right perspective, no right mindset or heart set for why it is that we are doing what we are doing. And that turns into things like depression, frustration, anger. There are folks who get consumed by that because they've been living with an altered mindset life set even, for years. And the challenge is is that oftentimes we make it impossible for ourselves to fix it. Think about this. How many of you like the beach? I used to hate the beach. Then I moved to California. That's a wise thing to do, by the way. I love the beach now. Kristen and I and the kids will often go to the beach for like just a day an afternoon. We don't get there near as much as we would like, but when we get an opportunity to, it's just great to sit. But I'll tell you, there's one great barrier oftentimes to a good day, and that is a smartphone, right? Because what do you want to do at the beach? You want to take pictures of you and your family. So you take out your camera. Well, it's your phone. So you take out your phone and you take a picture or two. But the problem is when you turn on your phone or, or get it off of snooze, what do you see? Oh, there's a text message. Oh, there's a Facebook update. Oh, somebody put something on Instagram. Oh, there's a new email. I am astounded when I go to places like the beach or I don't go there, but I'm sure it happens at Disneyland or other places that are like supposedly vacation spots, rest spots, getaway spots, and you see moms, dads, even kids with their nose in a phone constantly getting whatever update and whatever thing they need to check. And the problem is, is almost all of us in some way, shape, or form can be guilty of that. It may not be a smartphone, but it may be something else. We may go to the beach, and it's not a smartphone that distracts us. It's our own stress. And we sit there surrounded by a beautiful thing of God's creation with gifts that God has given us and the people that we're there with. And we can't even allow ourselves 
to rest enough to be refueled by God in one of the most beautiful spots that he's given to his people. Because we have our own smartphones. And our minds take us places that stop us from being fueled by God. How many of us are guilty of that? I am. It's hard. It's hard to get into a place to be refueled because it means something that Elijah had to learn has to happen for us. We have to listen. Now, if you look at the text, God speaks in this text four times. And each of the four times that he speaks, there's a specific focus of his questions or comments. It's about space. Four times he asks Elijah or makes a statement about the place where Elijah is. Look back at your text. First, he says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And then a little later on in verse 11, he says, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. Again, a spatial relationship. Then we get in the end of verse 13, what are you doing here, Elijah? Again, about space. And then finally in verse 15, it says, go back the way you came. It's all about space. Where are you, Elijah? Where are you, Christian? Where are you, Scott? Where are you? God is saying to Elijah, where are you? Not in your body, but in your heart. Be with me in my presence, and I'll make myself known to you, and I will be with you wherever you go. Think about this. Elijah says the same thing to God twice. Do you think he says those things twice to God because he feels like God's not listening? My guess is that he is. It's exactly what he's doing. He's saying, no, God, you don't understand. You're not really listening to me. All this stuff is going on. All this garbage is happening in the kingdom. Ahab and Jezebel are trying to kill me. And if they get me, they snuff you out because I'm the only one left. And in the middle of that, what does God do? The middle of those two speeches, which are the exact same speeches uh, that uh, God gives, or that Elijah gives to God, what does God do? God shows up. And Elijah's too pig-headed to figure it out. He blew up mountains. He burned them down with fire. He did all this stuff so that Elijah might see. And then he shows up in a whisper. And Elijah still missed it until, until after when God says to him, okay, you need the practical. Here it is. Elijah was listening, but he wasn't listening well because God was saying, Elijah, if I'm with you, you're in the majority. If I'm with you, you have everything that you need. 
I'll set up these other kings. I'll set up another line of prophets after you through Elijah. But if I'm with you, and you can understand that me being with you is enough to give you purpose, is enough to give you effectiveness, is enough to, for you to be able to say, this isn't pointless anymore because anything that God does is never pointless. If you, if Elijah, if I can say and understand that, that's where my refueling comes from. Elijah is listening. He is really listening. And he does finally understand. But I still wonder. I'm that kind of person. What was in the whisper? We don't hear. It doesn't say in the text what the whisper was. What did God say? Was it just a breath moving past? Was God simply like, or was it instead, I love you? Was it instead, I'm with you, Elijah? Was it instead, I'll watch over you always, Elijah? Or was it, I'm a God of promises. I made them before to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to all of my people, and I always keep my promises. What was that whisper? Whatever it was, it had power. Power to change and transform. Power to refuel Elijah for what was ahead. And the question we often need to ask ourselves is, do we put ourselves in a place where we can listen for God's whisper? And when we're in that place, do we actually listen? Now, how many of you got vacation planned in the weeks and months ahead? You got planned vacation? Good. Some of you have already been on vacation. I think there's some of you, especially you retirees, you're always on vacation. I think Will, Will's always on vacation right now. Vacation is great. You go to another place. You go to different experiences. You see family. You see friends. You see other things. God be praised for that. However, when you go, are you really listening. I don't know how many times I've talked to people and even felt it myself. You go, on va- go away on vacation, and what do you say when you get back? It was so busy, I need a vacation from my vacation, right? Because we filled it up so much with stuff that we don't come back refueled. We don't come back re- re- we don't come back right we come back more tired. It's not the only way, though, to be refueled going away on vacation. We can be refueled sometimes in a thoughtful cup of coffee. Faith Oats, I don't know if you follow Faith Oats on Instagram, but she'll often do this. Because she has like 1,700 children in her home, she will get up early in the morning, 5.30, 
And now they live in New Mexico, so there's beautiful spots around them. And she'll just sit in her backyard with a cup of coffee, reading her Bible, and refuel. A thoughtful cup of coffee can do it. Or a walk. Or even around a golf, Arlen. Those sorts of things, those sorts of activities, if we're listening. Your car can do it for you, Roger. I believe that. There can be spaces and places that we can find in our own lives that will allow us to refuel if we but listen. Don't go to the beach just to go to the beach. Go to the beach and for five minutes listen to the rhythm of the waves on the crashing on the shore saying to you and I, I love you. I love you. I love you. Walk up into the mountains, San Bernardino Mountains, in a place where there's trees and birds, and hear the trees and the birds worship God and worship Him along with them. Even go down to Citrus Plaza, not a place that we think of refueling, but sit at one of those places right by the fountain where the food area is, and look around and see the beauty of God's image in a lot of different and diverse people. And say a prayer for each one of them. Get yourself in perspective of who God is and how he works. God calls us to be intentionally in his presence. Christ reminds us that, of that in God coming near. Christ came so that we would know God's presence viscerally. The disciples knew God's presence powerfully through Jesus Christ because God wants us to be in his presence that was part of what the incarnation is about. My presence is with you. And for us to be reminded of that in our own daily lives is important. And when we listen to God when his presence is there, our burdens do become lighter. Our worries become less severe. And our purpose is affirmed. Why was Elijah a prophet? For Elijah's sake? Of course not. But for God's sake. Why are you doing what it is that you do. Why do you work in audiology? Because God has called you there. Why do you guys work in social work? Because God has called you there. Why are you a teacher, Mike? Because God has called you there. Why are you a pharmacist? Because God has called you there, Mike. And for us to be reminded of, refocused, reaffirmed in what God has called us to and understand that he fuels it. It's not about how great of a pharmacist you are. It's about how great of a God you serve who uses you in the pharmacy to glorify himself. Whatever it is that you and I do, God uses us if we will but listen. Let me tell you about one of my favorite parts of Synod. When I went to Synod, Synod is in Sioux Center. Dort College is in Sioux Center. And just a couple towns over lives a cousin of my wife, Kristen. 
They live just outside of Rock Valley. They're great people. We visit them every time that we're there. Um, I was just there on my own, so I made a point of going out there. Uh, I let, went there on Saturday night, stayed over until Sunday, went to worship with them, and had lunch with them afterwards, and finally went back to Sioux Center at about 4 o'clock. But in the afternoon, this guy, Dell, who's Kristen's cousin, is a great guy. Every time he knows our family is coming, they set up something fun. If it's kids coming over, they set up four-wheelers and a trail that our kids can go bombing around on. We go swimming. We go fishing when we're there. Bow and arrows, all that sort of stuff. We, fun things there. Dell knew I was coming, and he knows that there's something that I like, but I don't get to do it very much, and that is ride a motorcycle. And he has a beautiful Harley Davidson, but he only has one. He actually chased down another one. So for an hour and a half on Sunday afternoon, and I'd already been through a couple days, stressful days of synod, for an hour and a half, I was on a motorcycle in northwest Iowa driving around on country roads. And the great thing about a Harley Davidson is you can't talk to anybody while you ride one. A, because there's no one else on the bike. It wasn't a double, and I didn't have a headset to speak to Dell. The other part of it that is great, though, is it's alone. And I'm traveling through Iowa, and i got to tell you, Iowa, well, actually, we traveled more in South Dakota, so I feel justified. South Dakota was beautiful. Iowa, South Dakota was beautiful. And as we're traveling through the roads of South Dakota, it's a green unlike we've forgotten. We've forgotten just how green green is. Grass, corn, trees. It's beautiful. Blue sky with billowing white clouds. And all I got to do is turn the handle a little farther and the wind blows a little stronger through my face. It's one of those beautiful feelings. And I got to tell you, God spoke to me on a Harley Davidson. And he just said, to me. I love you. You're going to do some hard work this week. You're going to do some stuff that's challenging. You're going to go home and there's going to be challenging things. I got you. This is my gift to you. And listen to me. Because when you go home, it's not about how good of a pastor Scott is. It's not about how good of a husband Scott is. It's not about how good of a father Scott is. It's about how you love me and you worship me. Hour and a half, I think it was 60 miles, a gift. One of those serendipitous gifts that no one expects. And the truth is that God gives those to us too. Could be just going home, sitting down on your couch, And for a moment, catching your breath and listening to God's presence in your life, whispering, I love you. I love you. I love you. If you and I will but listen. Would you pray with me? God, you are good to refuel your people. You are good to give us spots and places to refuel our hearts and our minds. And often the calling is simply for us to be willing to listen. That you give us your presence 
but we're so consumed by smartphones or schedules or activities or housework or whatever it is that we have that we can't listen. Father, take away those things. If it means, Lord, that the network shuts down so we can't connect to the internet, do that so that we will listen to you. If it's something else that you need to take away, another crutch, another barrier, take that away, Lord, so that we might be able to see you more closely, to listen to you more clearly, to love you more than we have before. Father, within those places and spaces, Lord, through the power and the presence of your Spirit, because of the work of Jesus Christ, help us to listen. Help us to see. Help us to understand that you give us fuel to live our lives for you if we will but stop and be in a place where we can hear you. In Christ we pray, amen.